Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Lewis Carr, host of the Blueprint Connect Podcast. The Blueprint Connect Podcast is an extension of the Blueprint Men's Summit, where we have consistently given men a prescription for growth, not just for themselves, but also for their families, and their communities. During these podcasts, we will educate and motivate our listeners about entrepreneurship, careers, finances, health and wellness, and relationships. And on today's episode, we have author of My Seven Black Fathers, Will Jawando. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Lewis. It's good to be on Waymaker. Uh, good to have you. So, Will, first of all, Tell me why the title, My Seven Black Fathers? Yeah, well, you know, I wanted it to pique people's attention. You know, I'm first time author uh, and I'm really proud of this title and proud of the book. I wanted people to say, well, what does that mean? What is he talking about? And, and, you know, hopefully pick it up and read the description and look inside the jacket. Um, But it's also something that is my experience. You know, I, I was blessed, fortunate to have these seven black men, one of whom's my biological father, one who's my stepfather and a teacher and co-workers and others who stepped in and uh, fathered me and mentored me. And so uh, it's also it's a statement of fact, um, something I had come to over time. I don't think I realized it while it was happening, but it's a statement of fact, but also something that I think would help uh, people understand what the book was and hopefully challenge in their definition of fatherhood and mentorship and try to expand it. So, so Will, uh, I wrote a couple of books a few years back and uh, it was hard. All right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I, I made a decision. Should I go to grad school? Or should I write a book for greater credibility? And I, and I, and I wrote a book, but it was hard. How was it for you writing your first book? It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's uh, 
especially something like this, you know, I'm sure any book is hard to write, but, you know, a memoir, something that's dealing with really personal, deep things and, you know, your relationship with your parents and relationships with others and a lot of emotional and a lot of, you know, trauma and joy and all those things combined. So there's that piece of it. But then there's just like the process of trying to figure out how to write a book, right? And how to organize it and dedicating the time to it. You know, I'm a father of four. I'm an attorney. I'm a local elected official. Got a lot going on. My wife's, you know, very active in in her in her job. And uh, I think the pandemic really not only gave me the time and space because we were so, you know, a lot of we were at home working, but you know, had to be at home for a lot of time. But also just everything that was going on. You know, the uh, murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the economic fallout from COVID, obviously the health ramifications of COVID. I say of like, you know, everyone went through something, but if you were black, you went through three pandemics, you know, and I really needed to, I needed to write it during that time, which is when I wrote it during the kind of the heart of the pandemic uh, to have an affirmative story to make me feel like, you know, there was something I could do even in the midst of all this trauma. So I think all those things came together. It was still hard, but, you know, it took me about two years to get, get from initial idea to, to, to proposal and then I t- took about a year to to write it after we sold the book. So it was a quick timeline, but it was and it, it was hard. But, I, you know, I threw everything I could at it. I, late nights, early mornings, you know, talking into my phone with little garbles and things and coming back later and writing it down. So all those things. So, so well, this is what people ask me when I wrote a book. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why? And you know, why? Not? Yeah. Yeah. It's a que- it's a good question. I think, you know, I think the, the, you know, the adage that you hear a lot, like everyone has a book in them. It's just a question, will they write it? Um, I knew these men and others, you know, my mother's prominently, my wife's in this book. There's other mentors and figures in this book. But I knew that these black men had a played an extraordinary role in literally saving my life. And the. Uh, I mentioned the timing of the pandemic, that was certainly part of it. Uh, wanting to write something affirmative about what we as black people, our black community, the black family can can do the village to support uh, and change the lives of young black people, particularly the young black boys and men. I wanted to tell that story um, because we're at a time, I think, where it's particularly for us. There's not a lot written about the inner lives of black folks. You know, there's a lot of things said about us in a negative light. Uh, but stories by us, for us, about us, um, particularly as black men, you know, are can be sparse, uh, particularly in the, the wider culture. So so I wanted to really put this out as a love letter to black men and boys as a example through my life story of the power of these relationships. Um, also, as a call to action that we need to enable more of these relationships and um so I thought it was the unique time. You know, obviously I framed the book in this study on race and economic opportunity. I was featured in the New York Times when that data was released, which showed that in 99% of the country, black boys and white boys from the same background in the same neighborhoods have wide earnings gaps. That helped push me towards the conceptualization when I realized I meet four of my seven fathers in one of these 1% zip codes where there's a higher percentage of working class black fathers. So that helped me frame the book. Uh, but I always knew these men had an impact. So I think everything kind of aligned, you know, the the study, the pandemic, um, and just wanting to write something affirmative. 
it all kind of came together at the right time and and helped me pull this together. So, so Will, I don't know about you. As I grew up and I had these different experiences, I knew there was something special about it at, the, at that moment. Didn't clearly know what it was. When these men were engaging with you and, and having this impact, did you know that there was something special or different about that at that moment? Or was it sort of a look back and you realize that was different? That was special. Which one was it? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I think it was kind of a, a, a combination in that I knew individual experiences were special, right? So when Jay Fletcher, my mom's coworker, who's a reporter, openly gay black man, first when I was exposed to, takes me to Broadway when I'm a teenager to see Seven Guitars, August Wills film, that I was really excited. I knew I'd never done anything like that. I knew that was special, right? Um, I don't, I know I didn't appreciate at the time and Viola Davis was playing Vera in that, in that, uh, in there. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that uh, the, the cumulative impact of these relationships. Like I also realized when Mr. Williams walked in the room and I described this in the book, my fourth grade math teacher, uh, Morgan Freeman, you know, with the beauty marks and the short bush, brown skin, wearing a shirt and tie, first black man I'd ever seen wear a shirt and tie every day. When he walks in almost like a superhero mythic figure on that first day of fourth grade, I knew that was impactful. But again, I don't think I, I know I didn't realize the impact he would have on me for the rest of my life. So I think there were individual instances of like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And then but over the look back was definitely important of like the aggregation of no, these men were literally fathers and they saved my life and kept me on track when I could have gone astray. We'll be right back with more of my interview after this quick break. Delve into the visceral world of hip hop with the Gangster Chronicles podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So at, at what point did you realize that you were on this sort of destined special path because of these men? And I'm going to use this term, Will, stay with me for a second, that you would have these seven waymakers. <laughs> I got it. I got it. That's, a, that's certainly appropriate. Um, you know, I think it came at a moment of tragedy um, when my friend Calfani dies. Uh, which is a an, an inflection point for me in my life in so many ways. Um, I can trace back almost everything I've done, you know, in public policy and working in the White House and being an elected official, becoming a civil rights lawyer, to trying to right those wrongs that contributed to Calfani's untimely death, who's my friend that I meet in fifth grade. Uh, and, and probably why you got that torn Achilles right now. Probably, you was- probably right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably right. You know, probably right. Probably right. Uh, you know, but, he, you know, he passed away when we we're coming out of high school and it forced me to analyze, well, what were the differences between his life and mine? Um, and, it, and it was the first time I kind of had, had to critically reflect on that. And one of the key ones was unavoidable that, you know, I had the the benefit of being exposed to these black diverse set of black men who were intentional in the time and love and care and skills that they bestowed upon me and that he didn't have those relationships. Uh, and it was clear as day. Um, and there's different reasons why, but I understood that even at that early age, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I was going to do about it. I also knew that the fact that his mom had to work two jobs and couldn't work one job, job that paid a living wage and that the transportation system was bad and, Teachers didn't believe in them. I knew there were other things too, but I think that really forced me to start analyzing what were the differences. And that was one of the key ones. And I think the, that was the initial awakening of that, that these waymakers, these fathers, these mentors um, literally saved my life. Doesn't mean I didn't almost have some, you know, we all have, doesn't mean I, I didn't have uh, trials and tribulations and points where I messed up, but that they brought me back on onto the path. And, and- Will, when you wrote this book, were you hoping that people who read it would take action? Was it a call for action to say, this is how this village slash community impacted my life? 
especially as we look at our communities today, was that in the back of your mind that maybe sharing these stories will make other black men take some action in our communities? Oh, it wasn't just it wasn't in the back of my mind. It was in the front of my mind. Um, it's and, and I and I say as much in the book as you know. You know, it is a call to action and introduction that one. I want us to understand our own power and value. Um, I think we, you know, this this country, this world for five hundred plus years has told us that we are not of value. You know, the systems and structures have been set up and designed to dehumanize and devalue us, particularly as black men, other other marginalized groups as well. But so this is a pushback against that narrative and also through the stories of my life, which I'm sure I ask you who your seven are. I ask anyone, they're going to be able to name these people. So realize that these people are present. These men and others are present in our community uh, and that the power of this engagement uh, is so transformative. And, and so because of that, we must engage individually to your point of like step up and do it yourself. You have something to give. You have some time. Doesn't have to be through a program. Doesn't have to be for multiple years, but we all have something to give and to do. And then through policy and programs, right? You know, making sure there's more black male teachers, uh, making sure after school programs exist go, going down the list. And so, yes, it's certainly a call to action, both in, individually but also as systemically, because I, one of the things I was also very aware of is this isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, we just can make it and, you know, there's nothing wrong with the system. No, the system is jacked. But in spite of that, in spite of the storm, in spite of the racism and discrimination and inequality, these relationships have the power to overcome that while we fix that system. So, yes, it's certainly a call to action. So, so Will, it, it worked out for you because you sort of received what they were giving to you, what they were putting out. For young men out there who may be listening to this and, and may happen to pick up this book, and, and a lot of people ask me this, Will, how do you prepare yourself to have these type of fathers, waymakers, mentors, or whatever? Because they're all around us. But sometimes people just say they're not ready for this. How yeah. do young men, how should they prepare themselves and, you know, act at this particular point in order to receive? Because everybody tells me this. Well, oh, Mr. Carr, I want you to be my mentor. Mm, I don't know if you're ready for this. <laughs> so how would what advice would you give to them? You know, uh, be open to these relationships. And I know that that can sound overly simplified, but, and I'll, I'll explain. You know, there was a point in the book when I'm coming out of third grade, I had just gone through two years of really racist administrators and teachers. And I had started to uh, believe that something was wrong with me, that I was not, I was a bad child and I didn't have value. Uh, and it was starting to seep in. Um, and thank God I meet Mr. Williams in an oasis year in, in fourth grade when I switched to school, public school. And he pulls me back from that, you know, and now, but for a lot of our children, they have hardened. They, they've started to believe e either consciously or subconsciously 
that they don't have value, that they don't have something to give, or that there's only one way out, um, or there isn't a way out. Um, and so my answer to that is, you know, I say to that young person, there these these men, these mentors, these fathers, these waymakers are all around you. Be open to receiving them. They don't have to be perfect. Um, and engaging with them. And, and one of the things when I interviewed my seven black fathers, the ones who are alive, five of the seven are alive, you know, they didn't realize the impact they were having, mo- most of them. And and so I think uh there's something there too. And so I would just say, understand your inherent value. Believe what the world says to you, because you have to understand that. And then believe, and then and then be open to having these relationships, because it's certainly a two-way street. The other things that my mentor said is that I gave them just as much as they gave me. Um, and you have something to give in those relationships as well. So I know it can be hard um, when that hardening happens. Um, but the last point I'll make is that we have a responsibility for those who have started to harden and not be open. The first time you try to engage with one of those young men, it might not work, but the third or fourth or fifth time it might work. And so whether it's you individually as a person reaching out to someone like that, or if it's the aggregate, which is another point of this book, imagine the aggregate power of every time a black child encounters someone from their community, they are engaged in a positive way, particularly black men and boys. That. It might not be the first time, but maybe the 10th time breaks through. And but but he needed all those other times to be open to it, if that makes sense. So so I think there's something for us too to think about for for those children, those young people who have already started to shut down. So well, my my, my final question to you is going to be this. You've had at least seven waymakers. <laughs> all right. How are you being a waymaker to others? now that you know the importance of receiving one yeah it's it's a uh something that i think is core to my life's mission you know of engaging individually but also collectively and systemically and trying to make more of these relationships possible um you know uh i've been a big proponent of in my day job as a council member to make sure that all of our 211 schools, particularly the ones that are lowest income, have high quality after school programs. Research tells us that 3 to 6 p.m., most important time for kids to be engaged in productive activity. I individually mentor as many young people as I can and offer myself. uh, I'm very busy. I have four children, but I offer myself up, particularly in mentoring moments. The other thing that I think is important here is you can mentor someone in a moment. And then if the next person you does that moment, those moments add up. And uh, whether you're spending five minutes with somebody or five years or 50 years, those engagements matter. So I try to do that with every child, every young person I meet. Um, and then also uh, I have more deeply committed, you know, long-term mentorship relationships that I keep up with, you know, people that I've mentored since they were in high school and the like. And I think all of us have that responsibility, both personally, professionally, and to advocate for policies and programs that do that for children. So I try to do that. And then, if I, of course, I try to make sure I'm a good father to my children um, and be and I'm setting a good example. You know, I meet Barack Obama first through the television screen when I'm watching him in 2004. And he says at the Democratic National Convention and he says, we need to eradicate the slander that a black youth with the book is acting white. 
he was he was mentoring me. He was making making a way for me in that moment. So I'm very cognizant about the way I present myself as a public figure and what I say and do, because I know people are looking at that. So I think, you know, in all those ways, I try to just model and then have personal relationships and then work on the policies and the systems too. And I think all of us can do some of that. Might not be doing all of that, but we can all do some of that. Well, we thank you for your seven Black fathers. And we thank you for being a Black father to more than your four children. And we appreciate the impact that you personally and your book is having. And we thank you for agreeing to be a part of this journey in the Waymaker Black family issue. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for helping to do what you do to lift up and tell the stories and, and encourage the Black family. So God bless you. All right. Thank you, Will. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.